0: Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically. Enjoy responsibly.
1: What happened to music that meant something? The Who at the Kingdom or Kiss at the Coliseum. Where is the Misty Mountain Hop? Where is the is the Smoke on the Water? Where is the Iron Man of today? Whee! not a test. this is rock and roll!
2: Nika Rosa Danilova, a.k.a. Zola Jesus, went from the confines of a small town in Wisconsin to create her own dark sonic universe.
3: I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. Zola Jesus joins us for a live performance and conversation. Then we review the new album from UK arena act, Florence and the Machine. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, Jim, and later on in the show, I'm going to do a Desert Island jukebox that is devoted to a band that wrote a song about glue sniffing before the Ramones. Now, tell me, uh, you're not intrigued, right?
2: I can't wait to hear it, but first we have some music news. Turn
4: the beat around. Love to
2: Greg, like a lot of people in the music world, we have been waiting to see how Apple is going to turn around Beats music. Last year, the computer giant purchased the headphones manufacturer and the streaming service Beats for $3 billion. It has been thought that Apple needed to get into the streaming game and away from the iTunes model, already old and quaint, of you buy a song, you download it. People are moving towards streaming. Apple is threatened by Spotify. Why did it buy Beats? Well, we'll find out on June 8th. When at its big annual developer conference, Apple unveils what the new beats will look like. The Wall Street Journal is reporting it's going to be a $10 a month subscription service, and you can listen to all the music you want. Unlike Spotify, there will not be a free tier that is paid for by advertising. We've also seen the launch of Title, Jay-Z's streaming service, which is all about celebrity musicians giving free content, right? We we mocked the opening press conference. Beats is going to have an element of that, apparently. It has paid millions of dollars to artists, including Drake and Pharrell Williams, to be guest personality DJs on Beats and to stay away from Title. So So we'll see what Beats looks like very soon and whether it may soon be the new big name in the American streaming market. We should note that in the past Beats Music has been a supporter of Sound Opinions.
3: That is ASAP Rocky. The new single is LSD from his new album, At Long Last ASAP, and that tops the Billboard 200 chart this week. It is his second number one album. ASAP Rocky has become a mainstay in the upper regions of the pop charts. And what's interesting about the charts this first half of 2015, Jim, is how much shakeup there has been. This is already the sixth hip-hop album to top the charts. We've already had people like Drake and Kendrick Lamar and Big Sean in that top spot. Last year, if you'll recall at this time, You really couldn't break that stranglehold that that Frozen soundtrack (laughs) had. That's all that was at the top of the chart for most of the first half of last year.
2: Taylor Swift's 1989 is still at number two. I put that in the Frozen category. Yes,
3: well, Taylor Swift's 1989 is pretty tough to dislodge. That is at number two, as you mentioned. But speaking of soundtracks, there are three movie soundtracks in the top ten this week. That Pitch Perfect 2 soundtrack is at number four, And at 9 and 10, you've got the Shades of Grey soundtrack and you've got the Furious 7 soundtrack. So the tie-ins with the movies are still moving, big units, relatively speaking, on the charts.
2: Shades of Grey, of course, being your favorite movie of the last, uh, well, century,
3: really. But tell us about this, this church from Australia. This is blowing my mind. It's an Australian pop folk group, a church group, Hillsong United, with a debut at number 5 on the charts moved 50,000 units it is its second top 10 10- album. It is an offshoot of this Hillsong Church in Australia, which also has offshoots in London, the Ukraine, Cape Town, New York. It's a Pentecostal mega church, and this seems to be one of the ensembles that is singing the word of the Hillsong Church, bringing it to the world. They are a top five group in the United States right now. Quite an achievement for a Christian group in, in this day and age. Rounding out the top 10, 21 pilots, Ed Sheeran and your favorites, Jim, Megan Train are still holding strong in that top 10.
2: And that is the song Hunger from the 2014 album "Taiga" by our guest this week, Zola Jesus. Zola Jesus is the stage name of Nika Rosa Danilova, a singer-songwriter now based in Seattle, originally from Wisconsin, who at age 26 has already released a remarkable five studio albums. Her first record, The Spoils, from 2009, had a spare lo-fi quality, but on subsequent releases she's crafted a dark, atmospheric sound filled with gothic synthesizers and string
3: arrangements that draws equally on industrial music, classical, and mainstream pop. But Jim, always at the forefront, has been her tremendous voice, an instrument she's been developing since discovering her love of opera as a child growing up in a small town in northern Wisconsin. Zola Jesus joined us for a live taping at the Virgin Hotel in downtown Chicago, and we started by asking how she got interested in singing at such a young age.
5: Honestly, I'm not really sure. It's just something that felt really natural to me growing up in such an isolated area. Didn't have a lot of culture or society around you to entertain you or to to give you some sort of sense of purpose, so you kind of create this own thing. And singing was easy because it was you're born with it, you know, you're born with this instrument that you carry around with you everywhere, and so it just felt really natural to use that.
2: And and you asked at age seven for voice lessons and for opera training yeah. tapes?
5: Yeah, that's true. <laughs>
2: what? But where was that coming, you know, Greg asked where you got it, were your parents playing opera around the... <laughs> no,
5: I, but I knew, I mean, of course you, you're familiar with opera from the stereotype, the Wagnerian soprano, you know, Brunhilde, but um, but at the same time, the, the idea of being able to master this thing that I, I just do casually, that was the thing that I wanted to do. I wanted to to learn everything about it, and opera is the 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 great Olympics of singing, and so I wanted to pursue that.
3: So what about a career in, in opera? What about classical music, you know? Ever thought about being a diva on that level?
5: Oh. No, it's a sinking ship, unfortunately. I mean, the, the <laughs> industry of opera is, it's not in a good place right now. And um, I love it and respect it so much, but the It needs to reinvent itself if it's going to continue. Well,
2: indie rock is hardly like you know (laughs) know, a uh, you know guaranteed success story. No,
5: but I'm just saying. I feel like the the exciting thing about making my own music is that I can create my own traditions. Mm. Whereas with opera, you're you're beholden to this tradition of the repertoire, and there's really nothing. There's new opera being made, but at the same time, it's fun to create. You know, and that's what I love about being a musician is that. opposed to an opera singer who just has to perform repertoire.
3: It sounded like you were a pretty curious kid in terms of just the kind of stuff you were seeking out. My sense of it, you were relatively isolated. You didn't have a lot of, I mean, you know, it wasn't like concerts were blowing through town all the time or, you know, there was a lot going on radio-wise, and yet you seemed to have this very diverse cultural interest that you would pursue, whether it was opera literature, you know, music, what sort of stimulated that curiosity? Mm-hmm. What, was, what was sort of bringing in this culture into your life, the, this, this diversity of stuff?
5: Well, it was probably fed by the inaccessibility of it, you know, not having it around. You know, it forced me to have to seek it out, and so you wanted to learn everything that you could and, and find these, dark, these little deep corners of the world of this information and, and, and ideas that, that aren't just, like, readily available to you in northern Wisconsin, so, you know, you'd go to, I'd go to the library, and then, of course, the Internet was a, a wonderful resource for that, to learn about the things you're interested in and to, to remain curious.
2: I wonder if this is true. I've read that you were a teenage goth.
5: <sighs> what does that mean? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I'm not exactly sure. I think it has something to do with black eyeliner, a lot of it.
5: I'm wearing black eyeliner now. I, don't okay, know. I think a, a lot of women So now do. you're
2: a 20-something goth.
5: Yeah. I don't know. I think that you. they sell eyeliner at the pharmacy, and it's not for God <laughs> I think it's for people that wear makeup, but yeah.
2: Were you drawn to that culture, that lifestyle? I mean, I've seen your, your list of early influences that you've talked about a lot. Acts like the swans. Uh, heavy stuff. Lydia Lunch. Talk about how you started to discover that kind of underground music.
5: Yeah, it was just, again, that thirst for, for discovering things that weren't readily available, you know? I, I wanted... I'd get little kernels and seeds of this transgressive music or transgressive ideas and then you become curious by it because nobody's talking about it, you know, where I grew up. And so you're like, why why doesn't anyone know about this? It's so interesting, like, especially the idea of challenging yourself and challenging what's uh, acceptable to you in terms of um, art or ideas. And um, I like that. I like pushing my own buttons, you know, and finding mm-hmm. things that do that. And bands like The Swans and Throbbing Gristle and The Residents, they did that really well. You know, they're, they were transgressive and subversive for their time and even today because, you know, they're, they're thinking about what can, what can we do that provokes an emotion that people don't necessarily want to confront. Yeah. You know, it's the opposite of escapism in a way.
2: So we're here at the Virgin Hotel. There's, what, like 100, 150 people. How many people here have ever heard Throbbing Gristle? <laughs> oh, wow. That says something about Zola Jesus yeah. fans, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're looking out the window, and there's the L. It comes by every couple of minutes. The sound of the L screeching on the tracks, amplified times about 100, but way more painful, is sort of what Throbbing Gristle is. So
0: <laughs> human! So human! I see you crawling! I see you crawling! So human!
2: Can you talk about the invention of Zola Jesus as a character? I understand it's it's well the one guy we've heard of, and then Emil Zola, yeah. right? Um, and and part of it was, and I don't know if this is tough to talk about that you had a performance fear as as you know Nika Danilova, but to invent a character freed you up.
5: Yeah, I mean it wasn't so much of a character as just like a band name because when I was making music, I was in a scene with punk bands, garage punk bands, hardcore bands, and. Um, to just go out with my name felt a little forward in a way, you mm-hmm. know. It, it felt more natural to be in a band because that's what I listened to and that's what my friends were in. And so so Jesus was like the band name. But also it gave me this freedom, you know, to not necessarily hide behind it, but to use it as a conduit for my creativity and to not have it associated with my personality all the time.
3: At what point did you think this is going to turn into your life, making music? Forever. <laughs> mm-hmm.
5: It's something that I've always wanted to do, but, you know, your parents always say, I have a plan B, go to college. <laughs> so you do that, and then you realize that nothing's going to feed you the way that the thing that you love is going to, so you just put everything into it.
3: Here is Zola Jesus performing Dangerous Days from her latest album, "Taiga" live at the Virgin Hotel in Chicago on Sound Opinions.
2: Dangerous Days by Zola Jesus, live on Sound Opinions at the Virgin Hotel in Chicago. You can catch video of her entire set on our website, soundopinions.org, and we'll have more performance and conversation with Zola Jesus in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Then we'll review the latest from Florence and the Machine, and Greg will pop a quarter into the Desert Island Jukebox.
3: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and the song you're hearing is Devil Take You by our guest this week, Zola Jesus. That's off her debut album, The Spoils, recorded in 2009, but she was still a teenager. While her most recent records have an expansive, orchestrated sound, The Spoils, that was more gauzy and lo-fi, and she recorded it in her bedroom. Zola Jesus joined us for a live taping in the Virgin Hotel in Chicago, and we wanted to know how she assembled those early sounds on her own.
5: I had a one of those Yamaha keyboards that you get at Best Buy, and I had that on my bed, and then I had a um, computer next to me, and I would just play things, record into it, and then, yeah, just multi-track. Sometimes I did run ran things through, like a, a four-track. And just trial and error, you know?
3: The stuff was pretty developed. I mean, Jim was talking about this kind of merger of the, the noisy stuff and the melodies, and it already seemed to be there. You like that sort of tension between the sweet and the sour. Growing up where you did, that sort of sensibility of sort of pushing at margins, did you get a lot of positive feedback from your peers? Like, hey, you're, you're really cool. You're doing some great stuff here. Or was it like, what is this?
5: Well, at that time, I was in Madison, which is a, uh, Madison, Wisconsin. That's where I attended university. Yeah. And it was a very open environment. And the people that I... The community that I was a part of was very accepting of all sorts of music, and that was what was really special about that music scene there. But if I made that music in northern Wisconsin where I grew up, it would, no. But that
3: sensibility yeah. had to be emerging there. Yeah, and yeah. I'm, what I'm sort of getting at, it was, were you consciously setting out to be the thorn in the side, you know, the fly in the ointment, kind of the kid who was different, or, or was it just, you know, you couldn't help it?
5: Yeah, I think it's just when you're attracted to certain things and... Those either make you fit in with the people around you or they don't, and uh, I don't know. The things that I was interested in, there weren't a lot of other people that were interested in those things, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I didn't have many friends, and that's okay, though. You were okay with that? <laughs> I was perfectly fine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of books, a lot of rich books to read.
3: huh. What was your favorite from that era? What, uh, what book? In terms of reading-wise, yeah. What I got really it, into
5: Dostoevsky. Um, and uh, I did go through that Ayn Rand phase, as you are all—we all want to do—at fourteen, um, and then Albert Camus, things like that. Yeah, know. a little light
2: reading for those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, But you, you weren't a goth.
5: I don't know. <laughs> Tell me. I still don't know what that means. I'm sorry. I will not play into that. <laughs>
3: We we want to stereotype just like everybody else does, know. right? And I'm we're sure that human. happens in high school to a times ten, right? So. Yeah,
5: we're all humans, and we have a desire to have a syntax and you know categorization for things.
3: So what happens when uh, the spoils comes out? You know, I, I started reading reviews of it almost right away. What was your response when you started getting noticed?
5: There wasn't even really so much of a reaction. I was just like, okay, now I can finally do do it I can you know so I started booking shows and touring and you put out a record and then you just figure out what you need to do to make sure you can continue doing it so you just tour and the the most exciting thing was realizing that that I could put myself into the the passion that I've always had
2: Mm -hmm. how did the live sound develop
5: oh (laughs) it was a long road it was a long road um one of my bandmates who's still with me today Alex DeGroat he was he's been with me pretty much since the beginning Mm. And he helped me um, translate it to live because that's something that I have a lot of anxiety with. And um, I can't play and sing at the same time because I just get too, I start moving my hands and then I realize they're supposed to be on the keyboard, but I'm too (laughs) wrapped up in the the singing. So um, I had a lot of awkward shows with that. And then (laughs) so I I started amassing a a band of, of really talented people that were really good at playing all the parts on the records and, and coming up with their own ideas. And it's just built from there, and now the setup that I have is one of the best.
3: Let's get a taste of that live sound from Zola Jesus. Here's the song Sea Talk, live on Sound Opinions. ¶¶
2: Zola Jesus with Talk live on Sound Opinions from the Virgin Hotel in Chicago. Let's go back to our conversation with Nika Danilova, a.k.a. Zola Jesus. She's an accomplished producer in her own right, so I asked her why for her latest album, Tyga, she enlisted the help of Dean Hurley, best known for his work with filmmaker David Lynch.
5: I knew for this record that it was really vital to work with a, a co-producer because the... Um, just the ideas for this uh, record were just too big to do in my bedroom or to do on my own. You know, I wanted brass, live drums. I wanted it to mix to sound like Wagner. Just really big, really big sound, and, and I just had hit my limit with what I could do. So I found Dean through um, David Lynch via Sacred Bones, my my former label, and um, we just worked together really casually just to see how it went, and it was unbelievable. He's just had so much respect for, for my vision and, and for what I wanted to do and, and offered his help when I wanted it and, and let ha- me have my ego when I did it.
2: And, and I, uh, you recorded at a rural place, right, at an island off Washington State? Yeah, on,
5: Va- on Vashon. That's where I wrote the record. Yeah. Mm. Did yeah. that
2: contribute to it?
5: Oh, certainly, yeah.
2: So you're from the forests of northern Wisconsin. You, you're recording in a forested enclave island, and the album is named for a Russian forest, yeah. <laughs> Taiga. Why white, white Tiger?
5: It just felt like it symbolized the idea of the record. It felt like it communicated the concept of this vast, uninhabited land that you can you know, either go with your mind or go in physically to just feel like you're the only person that exists in the world. and Just like a feeling of empowerment in a way.
3: You mentioned David Lynch, and I know that you had worked with him in the past, or at least he remixed one of your songs.
5: As a
0: boy.
3: I mean, I'm curious about your relationship with his prior work in films and music.
5: So, so important. So important. I mean, just in terms of the impact on cinema, I feel like, yeah, Dave, without David Lynch, I don't know. He, he's contributed so much... Again, transgressive or difficult um, imagery and difficult uh, ideas to the world, and uh, yeah, growing up, he was he was a really big influence. So, uh,
2: are we psyched for this return of Twin Peaks?
5: Yeah, little How, nervous, yeah,
2: yeah, little yeah, yeah. nervous. I mean, that, yeah, you know, he's, he's but, got a lot
3: not to mess up there.
5: Yeah,
3: yeah. The, the whole notion of this uh, transgressive art, and also the notion, the way he combines music with image. Mm -hmm. That seems to be a big part of what you're doing. I mean, this term gets thrown out a lot by critics like us. I apologize for the entire species. But, uh, you know, the cinematic thing, you know, there's that part of your sound. Do you think in those terms when you're making music?
5: Oftentimes, yes. Yeah. Because cinema is very lucky. Directors are given this multi-dimensional and multi- Sensory opportunity to create a visual layer, a narrative layer, a sonic layer, and then even like a musical layer. And um, become quite jealous of that, that control over so many elements. And so, yeah, there's definitely a desire to want to participate in that greater scope, you know, build your little song and see how it exists in in a tangible world.
3: The other thing I wanted to get at with this new record, you talk about sort of approaching pop music in your way, and I like the idea that you're uh, an artist, again, who has this adventurous spirit. I don't think people necessarily consider you mainstream, but you're not looking down your nose at at pop. It seems like you want to have a dialogue, a conversation with pop.
5: To be quite honest, before I discovered bands like Throbbing Gristle, I um, did listen to the radio, pop radio, all the time, because that's all we had. We had NPR And pop radio, and so I listened to those both, and I loved Britney Spears. I loved those. (laughs) I loved pop singers, loved them when I was in you know like elementary school, because they were icons. You know, they were these deities, and they you just gravitate towards them in such an unexplainable way. And so, that's definitely a part of my DNA as a musician and as a person. And um, I'm very intrigued by that world, though. It's a little demystifying, but um, it's there. It's somewhere in there.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Uh, really emphasize the voice on this record too I heard uh, the stories I'd heard is that when you started working on the record it was pretty much vocal melodies entirely that you were recording and I heard some figures like 200 potential songs basically voice and very stripped down why did you choose to begin there?
5: never really written that way except when I was younger so it just felt very different and um, it you know just starting with a four on the floor drum beat which is what I did in the past kind of constricts you. The songs can only become one thing really and you get a little chained to that. And so it was fun to try something new that, that explored different ways of, of writing.
3: I heard also you had some self imposed rules about how you were gonna meet pop music halfway, no auto tune, no synthesizers, yeah. it was all going to well, be a conversion. There's some synth there are but some, definitely yeah.
5: no auto tune. Yeah. No I would stand behind if anyone was mixing my music I'd be like, don't do it I don't yeah. care if I'm off. I'll re-record it.
3: So you were doing complete vocal takes on everything instead mm-hmm. of, like, punching in. Yeah, I would punch in just-
5: if I needed to, but it, it takes away the whole vibe.
3: It's very old school. It's how the soul singers used to do it. They if would do Whitney
5: it- can do it. Anyone should be able to do it.
3: I'm talking about like Aretha and Mavis. Even yeah, Aretha, (laughs) Candy Stat, like yeah, Yeah, real old school. (laughs) Mahalia
5: Jackson. If Mahalia Jackson can sing like that, I should be able to sing like that.
3: And the big thing, the big knock on that is that you know you're you're exhausting yourself because you do you know, 50 takes and it's complete takes. It's not like do this line again. It's do the whole song again, with everything. You know,
5: that's that's my only job. My only job is to, to do the thing that I do and do it right, you know?
2: Here is Zola Jesus with the song Night, live on Sound Opinions.
0: Close to me
3: The final song from Zola Jesus on Sound Opinions Live at the Virgin Hotel in Chicago To watch video of the entire performance Visit us at soundopinions.org Have a comment on Zola Jesus Or anything in the musical universe Give us a call for On the Air At 888-859-1800 Coming up we'll review the third studio album From UK arena rocker Florence and the Machine That's in a minute on Sound Opinions From WBEZ Chicago and PRX
0: For
2: Sound Opinions. That is the song Ship to Wreck from the third album by Florence and the Machine. How big? How blue? How beautiful? Greg, do you have the answer to any of those questions? Well, uh, later (laughs) when we review it. Who is Florence? Florence Welch grew up in South London, began making music very much inspired by uh, Kate Bush early on put herself on the map in 2008 with a single and then an album called Lungs in 2009. In the last six years, Greg, as you've noted, she's gone from the ranks of the beloved indie underground kind of singer-songwriter with a lot of weirdness to filling arenas. This new album, album number three, is produced by the now ubiquitous Marcus Dravs, the man who's been behind recent releases by Arcade Fire, Bjork and, unforgivably, Mumford & Sons and Coldplay. He builds music for arenas. But Florence has been talking a lot about how this album, her third follows this year off she took after the big breakthrough of ceremonials in 2011 to kind of just breathe and and put herself together. But she says, uh, by her own account, she had a bit of a nervous breakdown. Relationship ended. She was in a bad place. She's saying she found solace in writing songs, putting her emotions into the tunes in a way she claimed she hadn't before, We'll see what all that means after we play a tune, and we'll come back and give our reviews. This is What Kind of Man by Florence Welch and her machine on Sound Opinions.
4: I was on a heavy tip, trying to cross a canyon with a broken limb.
0: You are on the other side like always, wondering what to do with life. I'd already had a sin, so I reasoned I was drunk enough to deal with it. You're on the other side like always, you can never make your mind. And with one kiss, you inspire.
3: kind of man from Florence and the Machine. The new album is called How Big, How Blue, How Beautiful. Jim, as you mentioned, she was very influenced by Kate Bush early in her career. We had a lot of those fantasy hot buttons being pushed, you know, Victorian damsels, gothic settings, (laughs) pagan sacrifices, you know, the flowing garments on stage, you know, Uh, she had the whole fantasy trip down. And on this album, she's not entirely abandoned it. There's, uh, I, I love the song about the third eye, the all-seeing third eye. And there's another one where she prays to be transformed into a tree. But as you mentioned, this album is being cast as a more personal record, and it is. I mean, it starts right off with that song we played at the top, Ship to Wreck, where she is talking about a relationship distorted by pills and booze and all these delusions. And it's essentially a breakup album. Beneath all the bombast on this record, there, there, there's a lot of heartbreak and personal detail. Drabs is a producer known for big production, you know, the Arcade Fire sound, the Mumford & Sons sound. It's no coincidence that Florence and the Machine are going to be doing a lot of the big festivals this summer, both in, in Europe and in the United States. Uh, so this album is is tailor-made for that. But I do think there are some moments here where she makes some growth as 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 a singer and as a stylist. I'm particularly drawn to the three very personal, more low-key songs on this on this record, Long and Lost, Caught, and St. Jude. Those are beautiful songs. The latter, I, a, a really nice-sounding uh, hymn. And then she's got this other side to her. That I want to see drawn out more in the future. It reminds me a little bit of Annie Lennox of the Eurythmics when she would go into gospel mode, Mm. and you hear that in Delilah and Mother. So about half this album, I hear real growth in what uh, Florence Welch is doing as a singer. And I'm going to give it a try at rating. You know,
2: Greg, when we were at South by Southwest, I was standing watching another young artist, Natalie Prass, with our friend Los Angeles Times critic Todd Martins. And he coined this new genre that I think is exploding, uh, Disney heroine music. (laughs) And I don't mean like cool old Disney heroines like Snow White, not that she was all that cool. I mean like Ariel Mermaid Disney heroine music, right? I think Natalie Prass does that. I think St. Vincent does that. I think Florence of the machine is the queen of it It is so over-the-top, musically theatrical. I think I hate it less, actually, in the Marcus Drav's shake-the-rafters-of-the-arena mode because at least there's a rhythm there than I do in the slow stuff. I I could not do better than to quote the critic from the NME who reviewed this album who compared the slower songs to what would be playing at the wine bar if Milton had put one into Paradise Lost, (laughs) all right? It it is over-the-top. It's bombastic. It's fun theatrical, it's melodramatic, it gives me a really big headache. I've got to trash this record. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Just away.
0: Oh my far from home. Come on.
1: You remember we were shipwrecked together?
2: As often as possible here on Sound Opinions, one of us takes a trip to the desert island, puts a quarter in the jukebox, and plays you a song we cannot live without. Greg, I know
3: what you got, so I'm eager for you to give it to us. (laughs) Well, Jim, I am going to give you the flame and groovies. And, you know, we've been inundated with Grateful Dead news lately. And I know it's quite a leap. How did you get from the Grateful Dead to the flame and groovies? Yeah, well, how, how are you doing that? Here it is. San Francisco, late 60s, right? Psychedelia is in the air. The, the love generation, the Grateful Dead are on the ascent, uh, the Jefferson Airplane. And in the midst of all this psychedelia The Flamin' Groovies, completely out of step. Wrong band, wrong time. You know, what are we doing here in in, uh, Northern California playing this style of music, drawing on 50s rockabilly and garage rock and, and some of the British mod scene You had two prime songwriters in the band, Roy Loney and Cyril Jordan at that time, and it was a great band. I highly recommend the first three albums from the Flame and Groovies, which were almost completely ignored, I might add. The third one is the best, and I'm going to play the title track from it. They were you know they were a straight ahead rock band, some people call them progenitors of punk. I made an allusion to the fact that they wrote a song about sniff and glue yep. years before the Ramones did. You know there was a snottiness about them, an attitude, and in the song "Teenage Head," a phrase they borrowed from their friend Kim Fowley, who seemed to get around a lot in those days. He was one of the founders of. Joan Jett's band, The Runaways, you know, yeah. kind of like the the manager figure in that band, wrote a ton of key songs in the 60s and also gave the Flaming Groovies the title of their third album. The title track is a terrific song. It's, you know, basically, talk about teenage angst rolled into two, three minutes. I'm a monster, got a ribbed up teenage head, teenage monster, California born and bred. He's talking about I'm a child of atom bombs and rotten air in Vietnam. Noms. This was in the air at the time. They were railing against it, completely out of step of what was happening in the in the peace and love generation at that time. The flaming groovies with teenage head from 1971 on. Sound opinions.
2: Flaming groovies with Teenage Head. One of the greatest songs of all time, Greg. Good Desert Island jukebox pick. What's on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we have our best albums of 2015 so far. As always, we have some thanks yous to say on the way out. Special thanks to Adam Yaffe, Andrew Gill, and Blake Smith at the Virgin Hotel in Chicago. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana, Robin Lin, Evan Chung, and Alex Claiborne.
3: On sound opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say.
1: New
6: messages. How are you? This is Tara from Anchorage, Alaska. Of your interview with Michael Antolaco on this most recent. Cash and Pitt and Shamir, number 495, Sound Opinion. His frank discussion about manic depression was so touching and helpful for me. I've been dealing with some sort of neuroendocrine cancer that's taken more than two years to get diagnosed. Just the diagnosis has been a big revelation for me, but part of that has included a discussion about my own hormones and the behavior associated with my peaks and valleys and recently a long time, very long time best friend of mine, I heard that she's been calling me manic depressive or bipolar in a derogatory way and it seared. it just really hurt. I just wanted to let you know that it helped just the fact that you aired this conversation I just wanted to let you know that it helped a random single mother in Anchorage, Alaska and I appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Thank you Bye. Good.
1: Good times. There's gonna be good times. Good times. I know there's gonna be
4: good. Hey guys, this
6: is William Salva from Austin, Texas. I wanted to say that song of the summer would be Jamie XX and his song uh, Good Times that features Papa Ken and Young Thug. It just has this uh, vibrant sound that Something that would come out of the Caribbean and just mixes it with some hip hop and some uh, like dancehall feel, and it has this like background which kind of steel pans, so it just gives it that summer feel, and it's just a feel good song in general. But uh, I would definitely recommend it, and I think it's just song of the summer. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jennifer, and I'm calling from Raleigh, North Carolina, and I think the song of summer 2015 is Janelle Monae's Yoga. I absolutely love it. Thank you.
1: Let your booty do that yoga.
6: Greg, it's Ethan Waldman from Burlington, Vermont. I'm kind of surprised that you're surprised about Mumford and Son. They've kind of been a little bit sell out from the start. I felt like that they had already ripped off the Avid Brothers, which in my mind did what Mumford did in their early days, but better, TV album Emotionalism, um, and also kind of went generic pop bland with their latest few albums um, to the point that I've pretty much dismissed them completely. Um, So not surprised at all that Mumford & Sons went the same route. There's much better folk rock out there. See the Decemberists. see the early Avid Brothers stuff. That is all.
1: I wish you'd see yourself As beautiful as I see you Why can't you see
4: yourself As beautiful as I see you
6: No more messages I open my
2: door. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions Call 888-859-1800 We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.